George Leonard Lopate at large. I'm Leonard Lopate. In the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the global protests that followed, several police reform efforts have been proposed. Most notably, an end to qualified immunity. QI is a legal principle that was intended to protect government officials from frivolous lawsuits and financial liability for good. However, courts have interpreted it so broadly that police officers have been shielded from accountability in all but the rarest of circumstances. Ben Cohn looks at 16 cases in which justice was denied because of QI in Above the Law, How Qualified Immunity Protects Violent Police. It's published by OR Books, and I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Cohn, the co-founder of Ben & Jerry's, to our show now. Welcome. Yo, how you doing, Joe? I'm Leonard, but it's okay. Oh, hi, Leonard. Sorry. I almost called you Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a deal. <laughs> so what's the price legal definition of qualified immunity? Is this some, didn't the uh, Supreme Court introduce the doctrine uh, in, in a while back, what, uh, the case of, of Pearson versus Ray? Well, it's, it's really kind of an amazing history. Uh, it started off uh, after the Civil War. Uh, there was a problem that uh, a lot of the police uh, in the South were still members of the Ku Klux Klan. And mm. they would be uh, abusing and brutalizing black people. So Congress found out about that and they they passed a law, a federal law that said that anybody whose constitutional rights have been violated by a state actor like like the police can sue that person individually in civil court. And then and and that took care of the problem. And then starting around the 1960s, the Supreme Court started to interpret uh, that law, which actually had became known as the Ku Klux Klan Act, and said that, well, you could not uh, sue a police officer unless there had been previously in that same jurisdiction a police officer who had done exactly the same illegal thing and had been found guilty and it had been sustained all the way up the court system, uh, then and only then would you be allowed to sue a cop who had abused you. And, you know, the reality, the practical reality is there's never exactly the same situation. And essentially, the Supreme Court eviscerated that law that was specifically created to allow people to sue police officers when they were abused. And that case, Pearson versus Ray, was in 1967 at the height of the civil rights movement. So uh, was, uh, was this in response to some degree to all of the uh, civil rights uh, marches and uh, and all yeah, the other things I, I that happened at the time? Was. I think that there was a case that was brought to the Supreme Court where there were a bunch of freedom riders on a bus, uh, I think including a lot of clergy, uh, that were arrested. And uh, they sued the police officers for arresting them. 
And uh, that's when the police, that's when the Supreme Court said that, well, the police didn't really know it was illegal to arrest him, so they get off. Has the Supreme Court had any recent cases involving QI? There have been many instances where uh, officers who had been granted qualified immunity, uh, where that was appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has continued to uh, agree with that, with the lower court decision to, to give uh, QI to the, to the police officers, essentially uh, a get out of jail free card. Uh, and, you know, there are two Supreme Court officers, uh, two Supreme Court justices, uh, Sotomayor and uh, Clarence Thomas, who have both called on uh, the Supreme Court uh, to overturn QI, but uh, the majority has not seen fit to do that. And that's why uh, the, the remedy is now in uh, the legislature. Uh, both at the state level, you can overturn it on the state level and at the federal level. And that's that's what's currently happening uh, with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act being stuck in the Senate over the provision to eliminate qualified immunity. Uh, you include uh, in your book a dissenting opinion by Sonia Sotomayor. So uh, there have been many of the cases, the QI cases, uh, are uh, connected often to uh, civil rights issues. Um, I'm, I'm a bit confused. Is it federal law or does each state have a version? Uh, qualified immunity is a legal doctrine. It, it is found nowhere in the law. Uh, this is something that the Supreme Court created out of whole cloth. And, uh, you know, as a federal law, uh, you know, state uh, state courts uh, kind of a, kind of go along with what the Supreme Court uh, has said. But there there are now states that have passed legislation to overturn qualified immunity in their state. And uh, that would include Colorado was the first state to do it. Uh, then just this year, uh, New Mexico did it. Uh, the, state, the city of New York overturned qualified immunity. Uh, Connecticut and Massachusetts have partially overturned it. Uh, and right now there's a big effort in California to overturn qualified immunity. So mostly in uh, red states and, uh, and democratically controlled areas. Uh, yeah, you know, it was, it was bipartisan in Colorado, but I, I don't really know how the vote was in, in those other states. Mm -hmm. Now, your book includes a foreword by Michael Render, who's uh, probably best known as Killer Mike, the social activist and one half of the rap duo known as Run the Jewels. And he writes that many blacks will, quote, die at the hands of a racist law enforcement system not far removed from slave patrols of the antebellum South. 
Um, I, I did. Weren't those uh, uh, those group those uh, patrols actually looking for rewards? What's the, the story here? The cops don't get rewards. Well, the, my understanding is that police departments, as we know them today, began with slave patrols in the South to uh, capture, apprehend uh, escaping slaves. So he sees this as a kind of like the, uh, the historic result of that. Well, yeah. Well, what, I mean, whether, it's if, in, whether it's in the South or in New York City. That's absolutely correct. I mean, the problems that we have with police targeting and abusing and going so far as to kill unarmed black people are happening throughout the country, certainly not just in the South. Uh, you know, there was a recent uh, study published by the Brennan Center uh, conducted by a former FBI agent uh, detailing all the police departments throughout the, co the country, north, south, east, west, that have been infiltrated by white supremacist uh, organizations. And so this is the continuation that Michael is talking about. Now, what got you interested in looking at QI and the ways in which it's used to defend wrongdoing on the part of law enforcement? You know, like millions of Americans, uh, I've been outraged by the continual uh, killing by the police of unarmed black people. And, uh, and, and on top of that, you see that uh, usually the cops aren't even charged with a crime. Uh, and if they are charged, you know, like two or three years later, you hear that they got off with a slap on the wrist. So, well, yeah, they're suspended and they're suspended and uh, allowed to come back or and once in a while they are fine and they're fired. Yeah. So, so a lot of times they're fired and then based on uh, a contract that was negotiated by the Fraternal Order of Police, that firing is then reviewed by an arbitrator. And in many cases, the cop who was fired is then reinstated. So police unions have been strongly in support of QI? <laughs> yes, they have been virtually the only uh, entity that has been supporting continuing qualified immunity. I mean, it's essentially a get out of jail card free for police. So, you know, if if you're currently immune from being prosecuted, you know, it's it's you can certainly see why somebody wouldn't say, OK, I'd like to no longer be immune from being prosecuted. But it's about the community that the police are supposed to be serving and it's about the people who employ the police which happens to be in this country majority white people uh it's white people in this country who hold the power and we have a responsibility to hold those people accountable i mean it's the only element of our society 
that we authorize to use lethal force in our name. Those people need to be held more accountable, not less accountable. Well, defenders of the process argue that ending qualified immunity will hamper police in their abilities to do their jobs. Yeah, I think there's no truth to that. Uh, All that qualified immunity is about is about obeying the law, is about cops uh, complying with the law. So, I mean, it, it, it became very obvious in New York City. You know, New York City overturned qualified immunity. And in the next few days, there was an email that was sent out by the police unions telling their members that, uh-oh, now you got to abide by the law. And respect people's constitutional rights. You're, you're a member of a group called Campaign to End Qualified Immunity. Who else is a part of that group and what led to its formation? It is a coalition of about 16 national groups, uh, over 2,000 athletes, artists, uh, politicians, lawyers, former police people. Uh, Some of those groups include the NAACP and the ACLU. And we also include Cato and Americans for Prosperity. It is a group that goes across the ideological spectrum. And uh, what we have in common is that we all believe in justice, that cops should not be above the law. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, really, that's that's what it's about. Cops should not be above the law. They should be held accountable. You know, if I hauled off and punched you in the face, you could sue me in court. If a cop did that to you, the case would be thrown out of court on the grounds of qualified immunity. My guest. Yeah, go on. Sorry. My guest on today's Leonard Lopate at Large is Ben Cohen who's uh, written a a book called Above the Law, How Qualified Immunity Protects Violent Police. It is published by OR Books. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Finish what you were saying. Well, uh, really what I was saying was that there have been instances I mean, this law is so outrageous that the that the you have a situation where uh, there was a guy who was under arrest for petty larceny and he had surrendered. Uh, He was surrendering by kneeling on the ground with his hands up and the police sick their attack dog on him, sending him to the hospital. So, uh, you know, some lawyers found out about this and they said, well, we got a great case. We're going to defend this guy because there is another case in this same jurisdiction where a cop sicked their dog on a suspect who had surrendered and that cop was convicted. So they take this case to court and the judge throws it out on the grounds of qualified immunity because 
In the first case, the person surrendered by lying down on the ground. And in the second case, the guy surrendered by kneeling with his hands up. And the judge said, those two cases are not similar enough. So the officer gets off on qualified immunity. Oh my. That's really nitpicking. In the, in the 16 cases you write about in which justice was denied because of qualified immunity, some of the victims died because of police action. Others were seriously injured and even paralyzed. Uh, and and did any of the, the police departments admit to responsibility in, in those cases? Uh, not that I'm aware of. And in, in a lot of cases, the cop who violated this person's constitutional rights then goes on and gets promoted. I mean, I think about that case in the book of, of David Colley. So this is a guy who's. That's your first chapter. That's right. Which you called walking while black. Right. He's he's walking to his uh, friend's house in the evening and two off duty cops had uh, heard a call on their radio uh, about uh, two black guys, very tall black guys uh, who had stolen some sneakers. Uh, and they saw this other black guy, David Colley, who looked nothing like those guys, except he was black. They saw He's him five foot walk- six, five foot six. The, the robbers were either in their late teens or early 20s. And, and David Colley was 33 years old. So he's much shorter than these two six plus foot uh, robbers and much older. And yet th- they went after him. Simply because he was black? Yeah, they were they were in their car. They saw the guy. They saw David Colley. He's about 30 feet in front of them. They yell out the window, hey, where are you going? And he points to the apartment he's going to. And three seconds later, they shoot him in the back. He ends up being paralyzed for life. And the cops falsify their report and say, Kali assaulted them and he ends up in the hospital handcuffed to his bed uh, because they charged him with assault. And it was only when finally, after all these fire requests, whatever, the video, the dash cam video is released. And it's clear that, the, you know, David Kali was never near these cops. He never assaulted them. And, you know, the cops fill out, you know, they, they falsify a report and, you know, that's considered to be, uh, you know, a disciplinary issue. And, you know, I don't know, they get some kind of discipline, but they stay on the force. They're not prosecuted. And it's outrageous. And that's and despite the fact that the evidence in Kali's defense is pretty strong. Uh, did it ever go to court? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's on video. I mean, you, there's no denying what happened. And those cops are still on the force in Fort Worth, Texas. I, you know, I'm not absolutely positive, but my understanding is they certainly were not fired at the time. Another case you write about is, involves 
Carrie Illich, a 25-year-old black man in, who is going through a mental health crisis. Haven't there been many cases in which police use extreme force on unarmed people who are exhibiting signs of distress due to untreated mental illness? Yeah, I, I think that is entirely correct. I mean, Carrie, I believe... He was the guy who was walking naked down some street, I believe. Uh, he didn't have any, obviously he wasn't armed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the police end up uh, jumping on him and essentially suffocating him to death. And... Uh don't they get receive special training regarding responding to calls that involve people like that? Uh, my understanding is that the training is quite inadequate. Uh, my understanding is that there are now just starting to be some jurisdictions that are saying that in situations where it appears that there's uh, someone's in mental distress, that they're sending out uh, people that have skills in, in dealing with people in mental health crises who are not police. They talked about the training that Derek Chauvin would have received. Uh, obviously, he just ignored it. And you include a case of a man named Kendall Joseph that's somewhat similar to what happened to George Floyd. Uh, remind me about uh, Ken. Well, he he was also held down in this case by a, a cop who was over three hundred pounds. Yeah, and I then think, he wound uh, up dying. Yeah, this is the situation where he was walking around, didn't really know what he was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody called the the cops on him. Uh, the cops uh, started chasing him. He was trying to, you know trying to find cars that were open so that he could hide in, in them. And eventually they chased him into this convenience store. Uh, and that's where these cops ended up uh, killing him by crushing him to death. Hmm. And he hadn't done anything. No, he hadn't done anything. He was just walking around looking weird. And again, the cops protected by uh, being above the law, um, qualified immunity. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, you, you know, I mean, we, we want to trust our police and, and police want the community to trust them. And, you know, Jerry and I, as, as co-chairs of the campaign to end qualified immunity, we've spoken with, uh, you know, people at the Fraternal Order of Police, and, and they say, we want the community to trust us. And what Jerry and I say, it's a two-way street. If you want the community to trust you, you need to be able to be held accountable. You need to be willing to be held accountable when, uh, when, when some officer screws up. And, uh, you know, in our society, uh, you know, surgeons, you know, they need to make split second life and death decisions. They're held accountable if they exercise bad judgment. And, you know, cops need to be held accountable. You know, 
Jerry and I, as employers, we learned kind of early on that accountability is everything. I mean, if, if you want to accomplish something, if you have a particular job that you need performed in a certain way, if people don't perform it that way, they need to be held accountable. That's the way you get people to do what you need them to do. And, and conversely, if you do not hold them accountable, what you're saying is that the rules don't really matter. We're saying you have to do this, you have to do that, but you know, wink, wink, it, it doesn't really matter. If you, if, you don't, if you don't do it, there's no consequences. Well, Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream has had a long history of supporting social justice causes over the years. Are the two of you still involved with the running of the company? Uh, we don't run it. We are still technically employees. Uh, you know, we are really proud that the company is now taking very strong stands on critical social issues. And it's not Jerry and myself that are driving that. Uh, the company has integrated these social values into uh, its essence. Well, an increasing number of, of companies and more and more corporations have been speaking out and taking stands in response to injustices, but they're often just often dismissed as, as, as empty words. Well, you know, sometimes you know, they're empty creating words. a good image for, for your company. I don't mean you. I mean, uh huh. This you is know, something we've seen I, quite I, a bit I think recently. In general, companies are becoming more socially just. Uh, yes, some of them are essentially greenwashing, but some of them are sincere. Uh, I think partly they've started to see that, uh, well, if you take a stand on a, on a social issue, it's okay uh, that, you know, your business doesn't, uh, doesn't, you know, fall apart. Uh, that, uh, and, and they're also starting to, to see actual market research saying that their customers want them to stand up for justice uh, and that people that they're trying to attract as employees want to work for companies that have a higher purpose than just uh, maximizing profits. So I, I, I think we're, I, I mean, this, this recent situation where uh, several major corporations took a strong stand against voter suppression and the voter suppression laws that are uh, you know, starting to be debated and passed in a bunch of states. Especially I mean, Georgia, was, that's where it started. Yeah, I, I mean, that was an important, critical thing to do. And, and it's a statement that corporations are a part of the community as well, that corporations, uh, I mean, we all as citizens need to stand up and fight for justice. And 
you know, <laughs> the last time I looked, as far as the legal world sees it, corporations are people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they are a very, very powerful part of our society. And yes, they also need to stand up for justice because if you've got the most powerful part of your society that says, well, I don't really give a shit, you know, whatever, whatever, as long as I'm making my money, then you're not going to have a society that supports justice. Now, um, in the past, one of the reasons that uh, companies kind of held back whatever they thought was they were afraid of being boycotted by people who held different positions. The last thing you, know, you want to do was be picketed by the police union, for example. Well, right now, uh, the, the huge majority of the population, I believe it's about 80%, wants police to be held more accountable than they currently are. I mean, for, for a, a judicial doctrine with as weird a name and as hard to understand as qualified immunity, there are 60% of Americans that understand it and they want to get rid of it. You're listening to Leonard Lopate at large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. try to find music that uh, relates to the topic at hand. I have to tell you, it was kind of difficult finding something that uh, included Above the Law, but we did. Uh, Above the Law is the book we're discussing today on Leonard Lopate at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. Subtitled How Qualified Immunity Protects Violent Police. It is written by Ben Cohn uh, with essays from uh, any number of people included, and it is published by OR Books. Um, getting back to the whole business about um, mental health problems, um, in what ways is law enforcement partnering with mental health professionals to deal with cases of the sort we were discussing? Because there are, uh, we've heard of any number of people just acting out in the street and winding up getting into trouble with the police because somebody called nine, uh, called 911. Right. I, I think that, you know, this is something that uh, I think most everybody, including cops, uh, agree with, that they're not really trained uh, to deal with people that are having mental health crises, and they would like to have uh, people from other disciplines, uh, you know, mental health workers to help deal with those situations and and as i said in 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 at least some jurisdictions they're sending out mental health workers and not sending out the police when someone calls 911 for someone in a mental crisis and hasn't that been part of the uh, argument that people have been using 
for defunding the police, uh, taking some of the money that goes to police departments and putting it into uh, to new programs uh, where uh, a troubled person would, the, the response to a troubled person would be somebody who is capable of handling a mental health crisis? Yeah, you know, uh, defund the police is is a phrase that, uh, you know, people have some pretty strong reactions to. Uh, you know, I, when I first heard it, uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, that's that's kind of extreme. Yeah. And then I saw a uh, a post from someone who said, uh, I used to think defunding the police was pretty extreme until I realized that we've been defunding education for the last 20 years. So, you know, the idea of, you know, redirecting money uh to solve the root causes of crime instead of putting more money into uh law enforcement uh you know seems to make a lot of sense i, I mean the the root causes of crime uh i think oftentimes are lack lack of education you know, poor people end up going to lousy schools, uh, you know, living in uh, substandard housing. Uh, and and I think that there are lots of different resources that we could provide that are not punitive, but that would serve the 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 goal of cutting down on crime a lot better than uh these these punitive method methods that they don't they don't stop any crimes they just punish people one of the cases you cover rather shocking involved the 10 year old son of amy corbett in coffee county georgia what happened there uh i don't what is this the one with the with the dog where the cop was uh there was no precedent uh, so the, the the cop avoided conviction because of the fact there was no precedent well uh, i think i i mean i'm aware of one case in the book where there was there was a kid there was there hmm. were uh you know there were there were some cops that were in pursuit of a suspect and they 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 happened upon a group of kids and their dog and uh you know they told the kids to lie down on the ground while they pursued their suspect and uh one of the kids had a dog and the dog was not attacking the cop but for some reason the cop decided that he needed to shoot the dog and he missed the dog and ended up shooting one of the kids didn't kill him uh but you know the kid was seriously injured and again the cop gets off on qualified immunity because as you say there was no precedent there's never been a case like that before will that change now that derek chauvin has been convicted do you think uh i you know, I, I don't really think that uh, that is going to change 
qualified immunity. It's not going to change. I, I mean, I, I think that I think that cops are probably not going to uh, crush people to death, but I think that they will still be using qualified immunity as a way to avoid prosecution. I mean, there's a lot of times when judges will say, you know, this guy should have been found guilty, but my hands are tied. And because of qualified immunity, I've got to let him off. In another case, when you call watching TV while black, a 78 year old black man who had recently had heart surgery was thrown to the floor by police who had burst into his home. Why did a SWAT team raid the man's home? It, they made a mistake. It was but, the wrong home. Sounds like the Breonna Taylor case. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly does. Uh, but again, they get off. They're not responsible for picking the wrong home. Wow. So a man just innocently watching TV winds up being killed and nobody pays the price for it. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And it it happens disproportionately to to black people. But not all of the cases in your book involve black victims. How often is QI used as a defense when the victims are white? My understanding is that Cops use it as a defense anytime they are sued civilly. Uh, you know, in the book, there's an example of cops that raided a house owned by two men who are white. Uh, it's, it's unclear to me why they raided the house, but these two men operated an ATM business. And they had like $200,000 in cash in their house. And the cops stole the cash. And, you know, and they proceeded to buy lots of fancy stuff for themselves. And so there was no question that the cops stole the cash. But there was no previous cops who had done exactly the same thing. <laughs> so they... You know, they're sued in civil court and the judge throws the case out based on qualified immunity. I wonder uh, if something similar were happening in another country and we heard about it, whether we would think, wow, well, un uncivilized that is. Yeah, I think we would definitely <laughs> say, well, it's absurd. I mean, the idea that cops, otherwise known as law enforcement officers, are presumed not to not to know the law. I mean, that is the legal reasoning behind the doctrine of qualified immunity that, well, how could a cop be expected to know the law unless they had seen another cop arrested for breaking that same law in exactly the same way. I, that's the that's the supposition of this legal theory. We should not expect cops to know the law. And that's <laughs> absurd. They are law enforcement officers. 
My guest on today's London Located at Large is Ben Cohn, who has written a book called Above the Law, How Qualified Immunity Protects Violent Police. It is published by OR Books and has a foreword by Michael Render, better known as Curler Mike. You have um, you include several brief essays by legal scholars and lawyers and former police officials that call for the abolition of, of qualified immunity. Were they written specifically for the book? Uh, yeah, just about mostly they were written specifically for the book. Um, as, as you mentioned, there's, there's, a, there's an organization uh, of uh, retired high-level police officers that have all come out against qualified immunity. Uh, there is one, uh, I guess you wouldn't call it an essay in the book, but it's from a judge. It's a legal opinion. Uh, and he's talking about uh, the absurdity of this law and how he's forced to let a cop off who stopped uh, a black guy who was driving uh, a Mercedes. Uh, the cop insisted, you know, st he stopped the black guy, came up to him, said, do you have any drugs in this car? And, you know, the guy says, no. Uh, and then he says again, do you have any drugs in this car? He assumed that because the, the, uh, the driver was driving a very expensive car that he must have been a drug dealer. Uh, that it, it's not uncommon. Well, as you know, it's pretty common for black people to be stopped when they're driving a car. But if they're driving an expensive car, it's even more common. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess that's the, I, I mean, I don't know what the cop was thinking. Well, I mean, well, he was saying you do have drugs. So, you know, uh, and then he lied to the driver and said, well, I have a report that there are drugs hidden in this car. I want to search your car. Give me permission to search the car. He finally gives the cop permission to search the car. And I mean, the cop tears the car apart. It is not drivable. He doesn't find any drugs. And then he calls in for a drug sniffing dog. Hmm. Drug sniffing dog didn't find any drugs. This guy is left by the side of the road, unable to drive his car. And he decides, I'm going to sue that officer for stopping me without any reason. Mm -hmm. And again, the judge is forced to let the cop off. Now, does it matter whether the judge uh, is a liberal judge or a conservative judge? Do they all, are they all, uh, do they all have to abide by the same rule? Yeah, that's my understanding is they all have to abide by the same rule. Uh, well, you mentioned earlier that a year after the murder of George Floyd, members of Congress are still debating police reform and the passage of the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, and uh, that qualified immunity remains a major sticking point? That's correct. Is Joe uh, Manchin, uh, is it concerned about this, or is it somebody else? 
I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear the question. Is this one of the things that bothers Joe Manchin, or is this bothering other people? Because um, no, don't ask me to try to figure out Joe Manchin. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, I, I'm not aware of his view on on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. But I, as you know, it uh, it includes a bunch of different provisions. Uh, you know, outlaws, chokeholds, other types of behavior and training and policy issues. But and it passed the House of it, uh, it, it passed the House of Representatives, and it also ends qualified immunity. It overturns qualified immunity. I mean, all the other provisions in this are relate to training and policy, but the only uh, provision of it that actually holds cops accountable if they do not abide by policy and law is the qualified immunity provision. And now the bill has gone to the Senate and, you know, the Senate has set up uh, a committee that's trying to negotiate uh, language for this bill. And the big sticking point is the qualified immunity provision. I mean, essentially, I think, uh, you know, the, the FOP is saying, well, you know, pass any change any regulations or laws that you want, but just don't hold us accountable. As long as you don't hold us accountable, we don't really, we're okay with whatever you want to say. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the part that gives the law its teeth. And has this been, go ahead, I'm sorry. Finish. You know, I mean, so we've talked to, uh, you know, representatives of uh, the fraternal, order of police and they say well you know if you're gonna hold cops accountable if you're gonna overturn qualified immunity we won't be able to hire enough cops and we say well we don't want cops that are not willing to be held accountable (laughs) uh you know then they're saying uh well existing cops are going to leave the force and you know that has not proven to be the case in uh, Colorado, which is the state that's overturned it, uh, you know, for the longest amount of time. Uh, You you know, police tend to, you know, people that are opposed to overturning qualified immunity tend to bring up uh, the issue of split second decision making. And we can't, uh, you know, we can't second guess uh, what a cop was doing in the heat of the moment with 2020 hindsight. But, you know, if you notice, all the examples in the book had nothing to do with the heat of the moment. None of these cops were under attack. In no case was it, you know, oh, it's him or me. I got to defend myself. That was not the situation. And in cases where it truly is uh, him or me, uh, there are other constitutional guarantees that protect cops in those situations. So has this just come down to being a, a Democrat versus Republican issue? You know, I believe it's a justice issue, but the reality in our 
you know, I don't know, in our country today is that so many issues that uh, are just based on uh, a policy end up becoming a partisan issue. I mean, you know, the reality in in Congress is that, uh, you know, just about all the Democrats are in favor of overturning qualified immunity and in the Senate, at least all the uh, all the senators, all the Republican senators are opposed to it. And but the thing to understand is that this is not just idle chatter that we're having. This is what is really going on in the Senate at this very moment. And it is at this very moment that everybody's voice counts. This is the time to call your senator and tell him you want to overturn qualified immunity. It, it matters right now. This is the time to do it. Although police officers are often just suspended or fired, many cities have been spending millions of dollars uh, in compensation to the victims and their families. So is that the right now the alternative to qualified immunity? Well, uh, yes. I mean, what happens is that, you know, when a case ends up making big national news, uh, the, the municipality usually settles out of court uh, with the, you know, with the party that got abused or their heirs. Uh, but in most often cases, for millions of dollars, you would think that they would want to get rid of a qualified immunity and to save some money. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, another uh, roadblock that comes up with regard to getting rid of qualified immunity is municipalities saying that now we will be liable for paying more money because they because they're going to be more suits that go through uh, because of bad and abusive cops. And it's, you know, it's kind of amazing to me that in a, in a situation where it's the, the choice is hold a bad cop accountable or uh, don't overturn this law so that the bad cop can get away scot-free and the municipality is going to save money. So many municipalities are saying, let the guy get away scot-free. It's not about justice. It's about our, our pocketbook. And I would imagine that I would have imagined uh, in light of the George Floyd case, Breonna Taylor, and, and so many others that have made the news recently, that if I were a police officer, the last thing I would do would be to pull out my gun or my taser. And yet, every day seems to bring another case. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that uh, one of the other problems that we're having in terms of policing is that we, the taxpayers, are paying our police departments to hire external consultants, former military people that come in and do these seminars with our police 
called warrior training. And in that war warrior training, they are taught to look at the people they're policing as the enemy. And, you know, I mean, if you look at the slide decks that they use and the language they use, I mean, they're talking about you have to be ready to kill. If you're not ready to kill, you don't deserve to be an officer. We have and to leave it there, unfortunately, Ben. Thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, my guest has been Ben Cohen, who's written a book called Above the Law, How Qualified Immunity Protects Violent Police. It is published by OR Books. What a pleasure it's been talking with you. Good talking with you, Leonard. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ben. And that brings us to the end of our show. Special thanks to segment producer Todd McGovern for his help in preparing today's interview. If you would like to hear more of our shows, you can access our archive of over 500 interviews streaming on demand at WBAI.org. We're also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. My email address, if you want to write to me, is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to take a moment to ask you to support WBAI. We need all of our listeners who have the finances to do so to step up and make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they are comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 right now to keep the kind of unique, in-depth content that we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. Without your help, there's just no way that this historic station, the only one in the New York radio dial that's 100% listener-sponsored, can stay on the air. So why not make that call right now in the name of Leonard Lopate at large so we can keep bringing you the kind of programming you won't hear anywhere else? Again, the number to call, 212-209-2950, or you can go to online to give to WBAI.org. And to everyone who's already stepped up to support us during this terrible pandemic, thank you so much. And I hope that you can join us for tomorrow's show when Les Stanford will discuss his fascinating new book, Battle for the Big Top, P.T. Barnum, James Bailey, John Ringling, and the death-defying saga of the American circus. We'll see you then.